0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 15? And we have come to the third of these three parables, which is perhaps the most popular of all the parables of Christ. It is, of course, the one of what is called the prodigal son. From verses 11 through 32, I wanna preach to you, speak to you, bring a message to you that I call the pinnacle of joy. There was joy when the lost sheep was found. There was joy when the lost coin was uncovered. We learned that this joy is the joy of God in heaven, the joy of the Father, because the joy is in the presence of the angels. The one who initiates this celebration in this party over the salvation of those who are lost is none other and none less than Almighty God in heaven. And now with this, the third of these three parables, we're going to discover what I call the pinnacle of joy. Beginning in verse 11, and we'll be through verse 32, God willing. He then said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, he has a plan. He has his own plan. His self-centered plan. Plan A. Father, give to me the portion of the property falling to me. And he divided the source of livelihood between them. Remember the setting. Christ is in the presence of Pharisees and scribes who have severely criticized Jesus for being in the company of what they called sinners. He is in the company of sinners and he eats with sinners. With that in mind, of course, these parables are given, especially to strike at the center of the religion of works, which reached its apex in Judaism, because it was based on the Ten Commandments and then the law. Of Moses, and these people thought that by their behavior, self righteousness, they could demand heaven in the presence of God. Of course, Christ has come to correct all of this. And so, here in this parable, the younger of two sons does something that in the Jewish culture of this day would have been unthinkable and unspeakable and very dishonorable we have to remember the setting of the culture in the day. These are Jews in a Jewish and Middle Eastern culture. The father is to receive the utmost of respect and honor from his sons. There would never be a request like this, The only way that a son could request this from the father would be if he utterly disrespected and dishonored his father such that he didn't care for his father, didn't love his father. And so he makes this request that would have been heartbreaking to the father in that culture. Give me the portion That's mine. In that culture, according to Deuteronomy 21, in the case of two sons, the elder son would receive two times out of three and the younger son one time out of three. So the portion would have been divided into three portions, two of the portions to the older son, one portion to the younger son. But it could not be dispensed. It would not be dispensed ordinarily until after the father had died. So the father would still have respect and honor, dignity, and express his own ownership and management and direction and administration of the livelihood, the estate. But this this younger son does the unthinkable. He demands... What is his before it is to be given to him? In other words, one-third of the estate is what he is demanding. That means that the father is going to have to enter into an early contract, dispense of one-third of the livelihood of the family estate. One third of it. And give it to this son. According to the culture and even to the to the law, he's not supposed to get anything out of his third until after the father's dead. But the father does something in expressing his unconditional care and love for this younger son, even though the younger son doesn't love him. He does something that would bring dishonor to himself. He joins himself, in a sense, to what the younger son has requested. And he does something that is extraordinary. In the presence of the Pharisees, they would have just wagged their heads and lost their breath over this kind of story. You see, what happens is when one of the sons is cut out of the estate and this kind of thing happens, he's dead to the Jewish culture. His father has a symbolic funeral for him. And all the people in the village are invited so that that the expression can be made public, my son is dead. He's nothing, he's no longer my son. So you see in the eyes of the people and the village of the Pharisees, this would have been a dead son. Son didn't care. He doesn't realize, doesn't know that he's dead. All he wants is his stuff. All right, so here we go then. And after not many days having gathered all together, the younger son went away into a distant country and there he wasted his estate living wastefully. It didn't take long. Here's what he did. He sold his third of the estate. That would have been a third of the flocks, a third of the land, a third of whatever, of whatever the family livelihood was. He sold it, but as a future commodity. Because according to the law, no one could take possession until after the father had died. So at a, at a cut rate, because it was, it was cheap to him, you see, it didn't mean that much to him, he would make out a contract and he would find a buyer as a desperate seller And the buyer would get this thing in a bargain. Knowing that at the future time, when the father died, this would be worth far more than what he would pay the younger son. So here's the language. It didn't take long for him to do that. His father has written some sort of contract that lets him have ownership, but not possession. He takes that. Signs his name to it, endorses it, sells it to the first person who comes along and gathers all of his money. Then he leaves the Jewish land and goes into a Gentile land. He's he's no longer under any kind of authority as a Jew. He's no longer, he's oblivious to the law. The law is meaningless to him. And he goes and lives as an alien in another land. But he has his pockets full of money. And this is the only thing. He is filled with selfishness and lust and desire. His own set of, own set of rules and desires. These things are important to me. My father is dead to me. The, my homeland is dead to me. The authority of the scripture in my homeland, all of these are dead to me. They're meaningless to me. He went away to that Gentile land and wasted everything. Didn't take long, doesn't take long when you're like this. However, having spent his all, there arose a severe famine throughout that entire country. And he began to be in need. Something is happening. He's never faced this before. And having gone, he gets up plan B. Plan A didn't work out for him. So now, selfishly, still his own God, Doing it his way, his theme song, I did it my way. Having gone, he joined himself. Now the Greek word up there means that he glued himself. Echolethe. Cle- means to glue, to get stuck to somebody. He glued himself to one of the citizens. Now the Greek word for citizen up there, that uh, means a person of means and respect. He is an official in society. He's somebody. He has a lot of stuff. He's a a special person in the Gentile world. Not everybody could be a citizen, you see. Not in that culture. But this guy was. That means that he had a lot of money, a lot of influence. So he goes and he joins himself to one of the citizens of that country. Now he's expecting people who are alien to him, and he's alien to them because he's a Jew. He was under a covenant. He was under authority of Scripture that God had given to his people a law that was special to them, a culture that would have taken care of him, but he has forsaken it. It's meaningless to him. So now plan B, still within himself, joins himself to this important person. This important person obviously is irritated with this young Jewish man. So here's what he does. He said, Well, I tell you what. Here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna give you permission to go to the pig pens, and you can feed yourself there. Whatever the pigs eat. You can have some, take a sack full of it, throw it out to the pigs, have some yourself, all right? He was longing to fill his belly from the pods that the pigs were eating. Let me tell you what the word longing means. Not, Not to get too involved in the exegesis of it, it means, that he competed with the pigs and fought with them over the pods. He was a pig. He joined himself to the pigs. Now you remember the Pharisees over here listening to this story. First of all, here's a Jewish guy that insults his father and now becomes dead to their society and to their culture. Even had a funeral for him. Not only that, but he moves away to a Gentile land, and in a Gentile land, squanders the money with, as it's called in one place, riotous living. Squanders it all away. Now is begging. He's a beggar to Gentile. A Jew begging Gentiles to help him and the Gentile sends him to the accursed pigs. A Jew would never touch a pig. It was against the law. That didn't matter to him. Nothing matters to him but himself. So he gets in a battle with pigs over the pods that the pigs were eating. This would have been a kind of berry in that day, in that place. In studying about this, I read that humans cannot digest that pot. So he's wallowing around in a pig pen, and if you've ever been around a pig pen, you understand what it smells like. He's fighting pigs for something that he would have to pick up out of the muck And then he would eat it, and then he would regurgitate, get it all over himself. Now, this is the condition he's in. He was so pathetic and despicable, no one was giving to him anything. He didn't belong in that society. He was an alien to them. They didn't owe him anything because the Jews called them dogs. He smelled like a pig mixed with human vomit. He looked awful. He'd lost his shoes somewhere along the way. He doesn't even have a place to bathe. In the minds of the Pharisees and the scribes who are listening to this story, this would have been the most despicable human being that they could think of. No sinner could have been any lower than this man. Remember, the sinners that he was eating with, Christ was eating with. He kept company. But the Pharisees would keep their distance. And to them, this was an abhorrent story. Everything went wrong. The father was dishonored, and yet in his dishonor, he somehow expressed this much to his son that he would grant him this request, the worst thing that could happen to us is that we be left to ourselves. Because this younger son is us when we are separated from the father and out from under any accountability or influence of the holy and blessed word of god so in this alien place he has nothing nothing he's hungry he's nasty he's beyond nasty he's he has no shoes he has just this meager robe that is stained filthy it stinks he stinks No one wants to be around him. So they stay away from him. Nobody's going to give him anything. He's at the bottom of everything. He is totally lost. In the mind of the Pharisees who are listening to this story, there could be no worse human being on the planet than this younger son. All right? Now he's out of plans. Plan A didn't work, plan B didn't work. However, having come into, first word verse seven, as a into himself, he came. This is where, this is where Salvation in the heart of a believer always begins. He recognizes himself, what he is, who he is, how helpless he is, and how generous and kind his father is. So, Having come into himself, he said, how many hired servants, Mesthoi? That's the bottom of people who get paid. They're the menial task workers. The thing lower than that is a slave. His father was such a generous guy. He paid everybody. He he offered them their dignity. He paid them. Not only that, in the context, you begin to realize that he does more for his employees than anybody else does. This is a generous and kind man. How many hired servants of my father have abundance of bread? They have more than anyone else on their social level would have because of the kindness and generosity of my father. But I'm perishing here with hunger. Rising up, I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned into heaven. In the phraseology of the Greek text, He's saying that his sins have piled up so high that they've gone into heaven. They started in hell and have gone all the way up into heaven. His sins are so many. They're piled up one on top of another. So I will say, Father, I have sinned into heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he comes to himself. He's helpless and hopeless in his present state. He recognizes himself as the worst kind of person one could think of. I'm useless. I'm worthless. I don't come here to be your son just Put me on the lowest scale that you permit into your household, a hired servant, because you treat them so kindly and so well. Make me like one of your, he says, this is what I'm going to say to my father. And having risen up, he went to his father. Now he, still being a far distant, his father saw him and was moved with compassion, and having run, fell upon his neck and kissed him. Now, we all know how this passage is treated, that the father was always looking for the son. But he hadn't even come back Into the place where he could expect any help. He was still away from the father and he wasn't running, but the father ran to him. That's daylight because the father saw him way off. So it's daylight. The son would have had to come through the village to get to his father's place and there would have been great shame in front of all of those who knew the father and had known what the son had done. And here he is nasty, smelly, shoeless, despicable in every way. So he would have been shamed. The father ran to him to cover him and protect him from that shame. The father... Went to the son. Before the son could come to the father, the father went to the son. And the father would cover all shame. And the father would run. Now the Pharisees are really losing their minds over this one because there was a law. There was a a, a law that said that a dignified man could not run. You had these robes, I've, I've, I don't wear dresses and I don't, I've never tried to run in a dress, but I would, and I'm not gonna, it doesn't interest me so much just to give it a try. <clears throat> but what this guy would have to do, is he'd have to raise up his robe. And that was, that was a no-no, a man could not show his legs in public, according to the law, Of the codified Torah in that day. Can't show his legs. He didn't care. Man, up came that robe. And off ran the father. As a matter of fact, one of the laws said that on the Sabbath, a man, even if a bird flew up into his robe, could not do anything about it. You know, I just just have all kind of thoughts when I think of that. (laughs) May the bird of paradise fly up your robe. (laughs) Even if a bird is up in there, you can't do anything about it. (laughs) I don't know. I'll leave it at that. He ran. He did something. And now, one of, one, by this time, one of the older Pharisees would have passed out. <laughs> this was more than they could bear. Everything about this was bizarre to them because to them, if that son came, he was dead. He would have a lot of stuff to do to restore himself just to be a hired servant, but then probably could never be a part of the family again, could never be a Jew again. But that's not how this loving father saw it. He didn't care about all that. Moved with compassion. He ran, protected his son from the shame that surely was his. And this father would bear that shame himself. In every way you can imagine, running to the son, running. And then to embrace someone who still had the stain and smell of pigs on his body and on his robe. Then the son said to him, and now he's going to start his rehearsed spill. Father, I have sinned into heaven and before you. No longer am I worthy to be called your son. You'll notice here that it stops there. Remember his rehearsal, he was saying, make me like one of your servants, but it's, he doesn't... The father doesn't let him get that far. You're not a zero to me. You're my son. So? But, all right, now at this point, the Pharisees would have been saying, All right, we're we're waiting for the right thing here. Come on. Knock this thing out of the ballpark. We know what you're about to say. You're gonna flog this kid and you're gonna shame him and you're gonna do all kinds. Of... No, nope. there's a conjunction here. But, it's not what you think. But the father said to his servants, quickly, now, there's nothing else that he has to do. Quickly, now, immediately. Bring out the first rank robe. That was the father's robe. Do you see what the father did? The father covered his nasty son with his robe. He would have been cleaned up as as part of the imperative here. Put my robe on him. Cover him with who I am. And clothe him. And everybody thinks that he's out of the family and that he's dead, but he's not dead anymore. Put on the family signet ring on his hand and let everybody know he's in my family. He's my son. And sandals for his feet that he may walk with honor and dignity and no fear of soil. Bring out the fattened calf and kill it. I read where this kind of animal, reserved for special occasions, would have fed, in the way that everything was prepared, would have fed 200 people. So the whole village comes out. And let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead. You remember they had a funeral service for him. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Do you know why the Holy Spirit of God puts the word began up there? They began? Because the party is still going on. I told you when we started this three, three parables, this little series, that it's the joy of the Father that is initiating and filling the celebration of heaven. The Father. It's the celebration from the Father. And heaven cannot help but join in Because we are still here walking this earth as the church, that means there are still people to be saved. Somewhere now, and for this day and for tomorrow, for yes, people are being saved. People are coming to Christ. Christ. They have come to themselves, they they have, the thought of the Father implanted in their minds has made them realize how generous and loving the Father is. That we we can't contrive a plan of any kind on our own that can come close to what the Father does for us. He was dead, and they began to be merry. Now, his elder son was in the field. This is in in Jesus' parable. This is the Pharisee, you see. These are the Pharisees. That younger son is the sinners that he's eating with and having a good time with because they've come to him. It's grace. It's grace. It wasn't the law that called. The law would have caused the father to stand there and continue co- to condemn his son and never receive him back to life. But grace moved the father to run after the son. But the elder son in the field coming up drew near to the house, heard music dancing, having called near one of the servants, being to ask, what is happening? And he said to him, your brother is come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him in good health. Now the elder son, you see, is going to have the attitude that these elders, these Pharisees and scribes were having. That this is the most unbelievable story. That this son did all these horrible things and yet, the father has just received him back, covered him with his robe, put him in a part of the family, cleaned him up and declares to everybody. This is my son. He was dead, but he lives. He received him in good health. Now he was angry. He was not willing to go in. And his father, having gone, was begging him. This is like these Pharisees. They are refusing the law, human works, religion. has a hard time understanding grace. Grace, is, it's just free. And it comes from God. Not willing to go in, his father having gone was begging him. Now, there's a little bit of prophecy here. Because the day will come When Israel will become jealous of what the church had received and the salvation of Israel is yet to come. The father is begging him. And answering, he said to his father, look, I've served you so many years and never disobeyed your commandment. Oh, lived by the law, live by the law. You never gave anything, not even a young goat that I can make merry with my friends. This son, having devoured your living with prostitutes, came and you've killed for him the fatted calf. I've never done anything like he did. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours, but it was fitting to make merry and rejoice because this your brother was dead and he lives again. He was lost and is found. According to Greek linguists of the Koine text, there are seven stanzas of this passage that deal with the younger son, six stanzas that deal with the elder son. It's an unfinished story at that moment in time. What's the elder son going to do? Once the father makes this appeal, what is the elder son going to do? He's going to kill the father. That's what religion will do to you. That's what the law will do to you. Kill you. Carry the story on out. Five or six more chapters in Luke. These same people who will refuse to be with sinners or connect themselves in any way with sin with regard to com- confession, repentance, salvation. These same people will nail God the Son to the cross. The story, of course, will go on from there in the rest of Scripture. But for the immediate future, Christ will say, in another passage the Pharisees cannot be saved how awful is it to be concluded under sin such that you have no heart no love no care only your own plan your own way your own world your own self-contrived salvation to finally be so concluded with a hardened heart that you cannot be saved. It's unimaginable, unimaginable. But now let's go back to the younger son. Maybe, I don't know the hearts of all who are here. You may have come here today without Christ. It's time to come to yourself. There's no hope you're helpless, you're despicable without Christ. The lowest of the low because of our fallen nature. In that fallen nature, we don't seek after God. That's what Paul said to the Romans, no man seeks after God. It's God who does the seeking. Now suppose he grants you the grace that you've come to yourself. Now recognize that Christ puts his robe on you and you are part of the family so that when God looks at those of us in Christ, he doesn't see who we are. He sees who Christ is. And that's what it means to be saved, to be atoned for. To have God to declare that we are justified. That we are guilt free. Sin free. Penalty free. Because of what God did. In running to us. He came to himself. Would you bow your heads. Close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you. According to the word whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Perhaps you're here today and you need to come to Christ and make that public today, would you? You make that public just by coming forward. Maybe you've already been saved. You need to be baptized. You come and let us take care of those details. Maybe you need to be joined personally to a local body of believers like Shiloh. We'll take care of all of the details if that's what God wants in your life. You come as well. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation as only you can do. Use it for your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together singing. sing. Would you come right now? You come.